Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, I think very much this morning, uh, our thoughts and our prayers are with the Healy and the Purcell family as little Matthew Healy will be laid to rest uh, this morning. Mass is at 12 noon at the Church of the Immaculate Conception in Watergrass Hill. And then, of course, there is a private uh, cremation afterwards. And I can't even begin to understand understand uh, what both those families are going through as they'll say their final goodbye to their little Matthew but what is really really unfortunate is we've got uh, criminals who are trying to take advantage of this very very sad tragic uh, funeral and Mairead Tuig from our news reporter uh, joins me with more on this uh, this morning. Good morning to you Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. Now, it is uh, fraudsters, online fraudsters, so much so that the Gardaí have issued a statement, which in itself is a little bit unusual. That's it, Patricia. Yeah, the Gardaí have been forced to come out with a statement uh, to say that they are aware of posts circulating on social media. And what these posts are advertising is the live streaming of the funeral mass of a six-year-old Matthew Healy. And as you said there, it's taking place today. It's in the parish of Watergrass Hill and Glenville here in Cork at the Church of the Immaculate Conception. And I suppose, you know, COVID um, showed, I suppose, the power of live streaming and how it allowed people to be at funeral masses despite maybe not being there in person but they were able to to tune in because of the restrictions that were in place and you know still at times today you know you still have live streams at funeral masses but in this instance the Catholic uh, Communications Office has confirmed to us that the mass uh, today won't be live streamed so these links are completely false and What's happening is these posts on social media, they include a link which users are then asked to click on in order to watch the mass. And the, But what happens is you're redirected to a web page that captures your personal information. So the guards are asking people, don't engage with these posts, do not click on them. And uh, they're just advising in general, you know, anyone who wants to watch a funeral mass via a live stream, you're asked to revert to the parish or diocese directly. But in this instance, the Catholic Communications Office has confirmed that mass today it won't be live streamed. So if you do come across the link, just please know that it's a scammer. They're out there uh, taking complete advantage of what is such a tragic and sad occasion. Uh, They're taking complete advantage and they're 
trying to get people, lure people in to click on these links, but it is in fact for their own gain and it's to capture people's personal information. Yeah, and it's very possible that these fraudsters are not even in Ireland, that they're they're overseas and they just, they trawl the internet looking for sad cases. And of course, little Matthew's photograph has been all over the internet uh, since his sad passing. This is it. They just take complete advantage of such a a tragic um, occurrence and they just jump on and use whatever they can to to try and, I suppose, further their own cause, whatever that may be. But you're right, they've no appreciation whatsoever for you know, how sad, how tragic this is and they're just taking complete advantage. So the advice to people is just know that today's mass, it's not being live streamed. If you do see a link, do not be in any way tempted to click on it because the Catholic Communications Office have confirmed it's it's not, definitely not been yet. And I, I saw copies of some of these fraudulent uh, links and they are using the photograph, the one I think we've all got to know um, of little Matthew, the one with his beautiful uh, blue eyes, uh, that photograph that appeared in all of the papers. And then there's a, a lovely black and white photograph that's up on RIP.ie and they're using that as well. They just copy those photographs and those pages like things like RIP.ie they'll, 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 they'll screenshot those and put those up. So it does look that it is the genuine the genuine article and I can understand why some people in the past because as you're right so many masses now so many funeral masses are streamed online so I can understand why people got sucked in because it looks like it is the genuine article but there should be no confusion with little Matthew's funeral because he says it's not being live streamed and I know they recently there was those uh, tragic road deaths in County Carlo uh, two weeks ago where a 19 year old and a 25 year old uh, were killed and similar scams went on uh, for those funerals as well so so please, please be careful and just mention it to other people as well that this mass is not being live streamed. All right, listen, thank you for that, um, Mairead, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning thank to you. you. That is Mairead uh, Tuig, our news uh, reporter. We can't overemphasize that enough, that little Matthew's funeral is not being live streamed. And once again, as I say, we think of his uh, family uh, today and what a difficult day they have ahead of them. And just let's stay on the whole issue of scams, because for the day that's in it, um, St. Valentine's Day and somebody said, Patricia, will you always also remind people that today is also Ash Wednesday. Today is the first day of Lent as well as it being Valentine's uh, Day. But Gardaí are also warning uh, romantics to be wary of online scams with some victims have been fleeced. They reckon €7 million Euro has been lost in this country in the last five years from these romantic scams online and criminals obviously are taking very much taking advantage of the popularity of dating apps and a lot of people now, if you want to meet somebody, the best way is to go on a dating app and there's been loads of very happy uh, romantic couples and m- marriages have come from uh, dating apps but 245 victims have come forward since 2020 to the Gardaí and the majority were female and the average financial loss was €28,500 and while the Gardaí say 245 victims have come forward you can be guaranteed there was many, many more people were scammed but they were just too embarrassed to even report it to the Gardaí and that's why we say to people please don't be embarrassed if you get caught out and scammed like this and please let the Gardaí uh, know about it because these fraudsters are really, really good. They are professionals at what they do. Now, the highest reported loss in Ireland was, wait for this, 
over 450,000 uh, euro, nearly half a million euro was stolen. It was across 18 transactions. That was a female, while a male victim lost more than 380,000 euro. One woman in her 40s lost 35,000 euro, and that was across 100 transactions. So they were small enough transactions, then obviously building up to bigger ones. She got, in, as she thought, she was involved in a relationship with a man online, and he claimed that his construction business was failing, he needed a loan, he needed a little bit of financial support and unfortunately he duped this woman into parting with her hard-earned cash. Another woman in her 40s handed over €26,300 that was stolen from her. That was after being added on Facebook by a man claiming to be a doctor in a war-torn country and that he needed money to return home and of course no such doctor existed. Then there was a man in his 50s, he lost €36,000 after meeting a woman online She claimed that she lived in Asia. They agreed to pursue a relationship and then they began making arrangements for her to travel to Ireland. And obviously she didn't have the money to travel to Ireland. So this poor man who thought he was deeply in love and this woman was deeply in love with him. He was coming up with the money to help her travel and he lost €36,000. After matching online, what normally happens, according to the Gardaí, is the couples will quickly encourage the victims to move out away from the dating app and to instead move on to a messaging app, you know, something like Facebook Messenger or something like WhatsApp or they'll start engaging on uh, email. The Guardian warned that the requests for money usually start off very small and initially some of those loans are repaid. What does that do? It builds up trust. But in time the requests will increase in amount and before a victim necessarily realises it, they're being pressurised into pay for things, anything from essential medical bills to customs duties to purchasing flights or money towards the cost of visas and requests for money can also take the form of investment opportunities convincing the victim that they will make a very quick profit. Once the victim starts to ask questions and once the victim starts to get a little bit suspicious about where all this money uh, is coming and then it becomes apparent to the victim I'm being duped here what happens then? The victim is blocked never again going to be able to hear from that person. And the Garda National Economic Crimes Bureau, uh, Detective Superintendent Michael uh, Cryon is in the paper saying victims will be convinced that they have met their perfect match. They have met the man or woman of their dreams uh, and they've been terribly deceived. He said it's become a huge invasion of privacy. It's a breach of trust which can impact your whole view of people into the future and even the possibility of romance going forward. But he says it's important to remember it's fraud and it is a crime and they are encouraging people to please report it. It's often the case that it is the the victim's money is transferred overseas to fund organised criminal activities, uh, things like terrorism. It can be used for human trafficking, people smuggling and can even be used for uh, corruption. And it ties in with the story we spoke about earlier in the week of the young people and their bank accounts being used for money mules. That money will initially go into one of those accounts and then, of course, ends up overseas and God knows what happens or where the money is spent. So please, please be careful. When I was talking about those online fraudsters, a lovely text in from a West Cork listener who shall remain nameless, who says, Hi Patricia, those male love fraudsters do not reflect the majority of genuine men and lads around where I live. Us lads are genuine. Happy Valentine's Day. Many happy returns. Thank you uh, for that. Can I just stay on Valentine's because this is uh, an email that we received in this morning from a listener who 
doesn't want name and location, which is fine. And it reads, hi, Patricia. Yet another Valentine's Day has, will come and go without so much as a card from my beloved husband. We spoke about this topic only last weekend and he's sticking to his guns that Valentine's Day is only for singles and courting couples. Before we were married, he was so kind and so romantic. But as soon as we tied the knot, all of his romantic gestures ended to the point that last Christmas he gave me a kettle and toaster as my Christmas present. Now, I know he loves me, uh, but I would still like to see some of those romantic gestures that all my friends and my sisters get from their husbands on days like today. Am I being unreasonable? He says that any spare cash we have should go on practical things. Hence the reason for the kettle and toaster as my Christmas presents last year. I also find it embarrassing when my friends will inevitably ask me today, what did you get for Valentine's Day? And I will lie and say, oh, I got beautiful flowers and chocolates. Am I the only married woman living with a good, decent man, because that's what he is, who just happens to not be romantic? And all the romance went as soon as he put the ring on my finger. And he doesn't want to waste money, as he says, on frivolous things. I'd love to hear from some of your listeners to see how I can change the situation within my own marriage. Please, for very obvious reasons, don't read out my name or uh, location. Is Now, the one thing I don't know from the email is how long they are married. There's no mention of, of uh, children, uh, uh, children either. So I don't know how long they are married. And I don't know how strapped they are for cash uh, either. But like he, he, she, she admits that he's, you know, he's a kind, decent man, but he just doesn't do romantic gestures. But what I find a bit intriguing is that when before they got married, he was very romantic and he had all of the, you know, the gestures and he would, you know, never forgotten somebody, uh, no, never would have forgotten her on Valentine's Day. But just as soon as they're married, that's it. Valentine's Day and anything to do with romance is only for, as he says, courting couples and uh, Singles, and I don't know about that. I'm married to a, a pretty enough romantic man, uh, I have to say. So I don't fall into this carry uh, into this category. But my heart goes out to her, especially when she feels that she has to lie to her friends and to her sisters because they are getting all the wonderful gestures and she's not. So advice, uh, please. And is this is this woman on her own? Do men have a tendency to be romantic up to the point of putting the ring on it, and then they forget about it after that? Your thoughts welcomed. Following the death. Of of a man due to measles last week. There's been a renewed effort for people to get the MMR vaccine. Pharmacist Sheena Mitchell, owner of Total Health Pharmacy and Wondercare.ie, is calling on the Minister for Health to urgently allow the vaccine to be delivered by community pharmacists nationwide. And Sheena Mitchell uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Sheena. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, can you just talk to us a little bit about measles, why we should be so concerned? Because many people, they hear of measles and they say, oh, sure, that's just another childhood illness. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, it's a childhood illness for many, but it also leads to an awful lot of complications in other people. And it happens at much higher levels than with other illnesses. And it's also much more infectious and contagious. So, for example, if someone has flu, it's likely that they'll pass the flu on to maybe one to four people on average. Whereas if someone has measles, that can be anywhere between 12 and 18 people. So. Yeah, it has a lot more potential for, ex, you know, exponential spread. 
and the complications vary like the most common one would be pneumonia and unfortunately that's one of the leading causes of death from measles the young children are particularly vulnerable to the symptoms and complications of pneumonia and that affects about six percent of people who've measles but then other things like severe ear infections diarrhea so risk of dehydration and then it goes on to the more serious complications which i think are the more frightening association with measles so up to one percent will get this inflammation of the brain afterwards and it can actually take months or years for you to recover from that and then about one in a hundred thousand will get you know a degenerative central nervous system disease um you know which is is very frightening altogether and the fatality rate you know you're talking one to three people out of every thousand so if we have a thousand cases then we're going to have anywhere between one to three deaths so it is um a preventable disease that is so so easily remedied by vaccination and there were rising cases across Europe because I know that unfortunate uh, man last week, he was the first case for this year and unfortunately now the first uh, fatality. But there are rising cases across Europe and in the UK. So we'll definitely see more cases. Will we in Ireland, do you think? We will. Like it's unavoidable now. And this is why I think this is so urgent. All of the advice from the World Health Organization and the ECDC is to expect an increase that we prepare for an increase in cases. Like if you look at the WHO European region figures, in 2022, there was only 940 cases. And 2023, there was more than 42,000. Like that's 40 times more cases in one year. So I think we'd be very naive not to be facing this. And while yes, we've had one confirmed lab cases that very sadly, you know, ended tragically, we have had actually in January alone, nine suspected cases. And, you know, when you compare that for one month compared to 23 year 2023's figures where it was a four in the full year Mm. like you know the signs are knocking on our door and with the vaccinations we know that all across Europe the pandemic caused an average of five percent of a decrease in vaccination rates and measles unfortunately is a perfect example about how any little drop in vaccination rate can cause outbreaks to happen. So we we do need to be really careful. Obviously, there's many countries who are worse affected than us. And Romania is unfortunately going through an awful lot of outbreaks. But there has been cases, you know, reported in Austria, France, Iceland, Spain, Germany, Belgium, Poland. And obviously, we know in the UK where there's like less, you know, one in 10 children aren't vaccinated by the time they go to school at all, that they've had to declare a major incident. And, you know, they've had 127 cases in January. So it it really is very close. And our vaccination rate wasn't perfect before the pandemic. And a lot of that might have been due to kind of misinformation. And we do know that in the 80s and 90s, we struggled to encourage people to get vaccinated because Dr. Wakefield, who yeah. has since been struck off the medical register for completely, you know, getting it wrong, had, drew an incorrect link between the MMR and autism. And I just want to reassure people that the MMR is a safe vaccine and there is no link between it and yeah. autism. You know, I think yeah, it's but, really important yeah, to and good, that. Uh, absolutely good uh, to um, 
um, uh, point that out. And, and of course, you know, the fact that there are outbreaks uh, across the UK and across Europe and we're on midterm this week, there's the possibility that some families have travelled as well and that's where the danger is when you say how highly contagious uh, measles is. There is a fear factor then that some of those families will bring the, the, the measles back. So who should be getting the MMR vaccine? So up until last week, the catch-up programme only covered children up to and including 10 years who hadn't received their vaccine with their normal childhood schedule. But since then, because of the circumstances we now find ourselves in, GPs have been advised to relax those guidelines and offer it to anyone who was born since 1978, who has no written or verbal record of having two vaccinations. So that basically means, you know, there's a lot of people who would have been depending on maybe their parents' knowledge to find out if they had actually received their vaccines. And, you know, many people in their 30s and 40s, unfortunately, don't actually have a parent now who has either got, you know, I suppose a reliable answer for them or they may have passed away since. So there is an option to get your immunity checked by contacting your local health office. And just looking at the figures, actually, I know down in West Cork, like one, the vaccination rate is only 88 percent and we need it over 95. And things are a little bit better in the north of Cork, where it's 91 to 92 percent, but still not hitting the 95. So it is important to find out your vaccination status. If you are unsure, and this is the really important thing, if you're unsure, it's actually, you don't need to go for a blood test to confirm or anything. You can actually just go and request a third vaccination because a vaccination, an additional vaccination is safer than a missed vaccination in the case of the MMR. You say a third, so the MMR is is two vaccines? It's two injections? Yeah, so children get the MMR with their childhood vaccines when they're one and it's given alongside the men B vaccine. And then they also receive it when they're in junior infants. And if they missed it um, at that stage, you know, a lot of people might have, because I know during COVID, a lot of the vaccines were taken out of the schools and people had to go to their local health office and people may not have been able to avail of that at the time. And so those children definitely need to go forward. But also if someone is unsure you know, even as an adult, whether they had their two doses from when it was brought in and between 85 and 88, um, then they should, you know, they should go forward for vaccination if they're unsure. Sorry, just one thing there. You said that uh, babies don't receive the MMR until they're 12 months old. Mm -hmm. If there is a measles outbreak in an area, do you have to cocoon babies under, under the age of 12 months? So this is going to be very fluid, what happens here. So the first thing is that you can absolutely not give the MMR to a child under six months of age. But to reassure parents, you do actually transfer immunity from mum to baby passively when the baby's in the womb. So it's not that a child has absolutely no immunity. So cocooning is not currently needed. If there's an outbreak in an area, um, any, you know, there is then a possibility that you could go to your GP and request vaccination slightly earlier um, because of that. And it's just important to note that if that happens and you do need to bring your baby who's under one for a vaccine, because of the effect that maternal antibodies have on the vaccine, it isn't actually considered a full dose. So they'll still have to get it at one and they'll still get it at four. Okay. So, you know, it's it's an additional dose in the case of outbreak. And that can be done 
it's really for nine months and up, but it can be done as early as six months in the case of an outbreak. And another thing, just you talked there about travel. I would say to people, if they're traveling, you know, this summer even to a country which is suffering from outbreaks, then it is a good idea to make sure that everyone's vaccination status is known and up to date now, because to get the two doses for a child who's received, you know, none, it's really going to take six full weeks for them to be immune. So now is the time to be thinking about even summer travel it might be you know it's too yeah. late for for this midterm but it is important to get organized and because of all of these recommendations and really the urgency that's been stated by the ECDC and unfortunately I'm personally I'm not seeing that same urgency coming from the HSE but if you look broader at the World Health Organization and the ECDC they are all screaming at us to get people vaccinated because they're saying these cases are going to come it's inevitable so for me I know from my Instagram page wondercare underscore IRL I've gotten dozens of queries from people who either can't access the GP or their GP maybe isn't participating in the childhood schedule and that's absolutely okay they're not contracted to do that if they're overwhelmed with other work but we need to make vaccination available readily available like with the MMR for a long time, we've been trying to convince people to get it. Now we have a demand where everyone wants it and we're not and getting it. And it's not there. Yeah. It's, and of course, it's and it's um, MMR, it's measles, mumps and uh, rubella, because I can see a question coming in. Do pregnant women uh, need to be particularly careful? Now, I know there hasn't been an outbreak of uh, rubella, but you'd be nervous that that we could end up with rubella outbreaks. And, and we know the, the situation there for pregnant women. Well, the one thing I'd say is there's no there's no rise in rubella cases at the moment. That's not an area of concern. However, you're right, rubella can be extremely dangerous in, in pregnancy and much more so than measles. Measles is more transmissible, but it can have risks. There are risks of, you know, I don't want to scare your listeners, but there are risks associated with infection during pregnancy. However, what I would say to people is that your your immunity for rubella is actually automatically checked when you're in hospital when you're pregnant okay so when you're visiting your your gp or your hospital they will check if you have rubella immunity and in general for anyone born since 1988 or who were born earlier but would have been between the age of 10 and 14 in 1992 they would have received a dose of the mmr so if they have rubella immunity it's likely that they also have measles immunity good. so to right. be reassured from that, that that is good to hear now and just to finish off and and the main reason that that we brought you on um sheena you community pharmacists have played such a role when it has come to a vaccination. We see it every year with the flu. Uh, we saw a level of it with the, the COVID vaccinations. You're calling on the department to say, you know, let the community pharmacies help out the GPs here. Yeah, like I think, you know, and I was posting stuff on Instagram today. We seem to have an illness service, not a healthcare service. I don't know why we're always so slow to be proactive and why we insist on being reactive. Like pharmacists have a proven track record of vaccination. We're now vaccinating for things like shingles and pneumonia, you know, in the community pharmacies as well. And we've just finished our flu season. It's just wrapping up now. So we're actually perfectly placed to roll out and participate in the catch up programme. It would alleviate pressure on the GPs. Like we know they need to focus on chronic disease management and they're already 
overly busy and overly stretched as it is. And a lot of GPs have been in touch with me to say that. So what I would say is, like, I don't think we need to talk about this for weeks and months and wait until, you know, there's already been cases and further children with complications or any further deaths. I think we need to absolutely be proactive and engage in community pharmacy and allow them and enable us to participate in the catch-up programme because parents want it, you know, people want it and like the it is guideline and evidence-based. The ECDC and like the World Health Organisation are screaming at us to do this. So okay. I just wish that we didn't have to delay every time a decision had to be made. Okay, listen to one stroke. Just Sheena, do you, can you only catch measles once in your life and are older people at risk from measles? So measles is actually, if you catch measles itself, in it, that's known as having the wild virus. And that actually offers more protection than getting a vaccination. So it is generally a once in a life situation. And that's why people who were born before 1978 are told they don't really need to be vaccinated because there was so much wild measles circulating that everyone is considered to be immune unless they you know, have some reason to find out otherwise. So, yeah, absolutely. If you've had measles in the past, you're protected now. Sheena, you'd be too young to remember this, but you'd be horrified to hear that I remember in the in the 70s when I was a child and somebody in the neighbourhood got measles and there was a measles party held so that every, all the kids in the neighbourhood could get it together and they did it with mumps as well. It was crazy, yeah. but that, that was the way it was done. It was better get everybody get have it together. It was crazy. They, we don't do that today, thank God. All we right. don't. And, you know, I think the complications and risks are so big. It's yeah. Exactly, as you say, pe- people do the right thing when they have the information. Yeah, people didn't know. People certainly didn't know. All right, listen, Sheena, we leave it there. Thank you for that. As always, your mind of information. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning, Sheena Mitchell there, who is uh, owner of Total Health Pharmacy uh, and also founder of Wondercare.ie. This week, the Higher Education Minister, Simon Harris, has launched an initiative to encourage Irish construction workers to return home from working abroad. And the campaign has a budget of €750,000. To discuss why it's needed, I'm joined by Dermot Carey, who is Director of Safety, Education and Skills at the Construction Industry Federation of Ireland. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning to your listeners. And you're very welcome to the programme. OK, firstly, have we any idea on the numbers of Irish construction workers who are currently working abroad? Uh, well, I, in anticipation of this interview, I just looked at some of the figures and just to, we we don't know specifically how many construction workers, but we can say that last year alone, um, 59,000 people left Ireland. Now, we don't know how many people, how many of those are construction, uh, have are construction personnel, but equally uh, in 2022, uh, nearly 29,000 Irish people returned. Um, so, but we don't have the figure in relation to how many yeah. of those would be have be construction personnel. But we do know that there's quite a bit of churn between the people leaving and people returning. So, and maybe just to clarify, while the minister launched this initiative, it's it's a multifaceted initiative. There's more to it than just the trying to bring Irish personnel back to to Ireland who might have emigrated. Um, so there is a budget of 750,000, but it covers, um, I'm just looking at the plan here, seven different initiatives, including a careers initiative in schools to try and um, provide information and guidance to 
school leavers who are making careers. Yeah, and that that I think is 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 really important. Is to try to get younger people to look at an apprenticeship for a career, and and we'll 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 talk about that in a moment because the one thing about the apprentice, they're going to take a number of years before they are uh, qualified. We do know, uh, Dermot, for example, that many uh, those in the construction sector would have left when the economy um, crashed. They'll be coming back to a different country in that I'm, I'm assuming the jobs they would be returning to are better paid and they're more reliable jobs. Would I be right in saying that? Well, I suppose there's a couple of points there. I think if people left back in 2009, 2010, they're probably well established in wherever they went and put down roots. And, and I don't foresee that many of those would return. I think we're probably most likely to be successful um, trying to attract young people that might have left maybe after COVID or just before COVID and who went for a bit of adventure and experience and now might be considering, well, what does Ireland look like? What's happening in Ireland now? So I, I think that's probably the target group more than those who went maybe 10 years ago. And the other point you mentioned is just in relation to the industry, um, like you can't turn on the radio at the moment in relation to uh housing issues, um, retrofitting, uh, climate change issues, infrastructure, all of that, water, all of those, all of those elements are going to be solved by the construction sector. And we need people obviously to do that. So there is a pipeline of work looking out 10 years in advance. Uh, so the National Development Plan covers 10 years. Mm. How many so construction we, we, workers industry, do you think we will need across all the trades for those 10 well, years? There's an estimate that for housing alone, over the next 10 years, we need about 50,000. Whoa. But in total, in total, yeah, I know that sounds... sounds That's a lot lot of workers. But but I'm looking at figures here um, for, say, just in relation to numbers of people who work in the industry. In 2019, which was like pre-COVID and the industry was booming, there was about 145,000 people working in the sector. Now, after quite a few difficult years with COVID, we have 167,000 people. So the industry has grown by 22,000 over those quite difficult years. So I'm confident that that can be achieved. Like they sound uh, out of context. They sound like big numbers that are very difficult to reach. But by uh, by the same token, I'm not I'm not anyway naive to think that it's, it's not a challenge because okay. we're in a we're in a situation now here where we have full employment more or less in Ireland. So there's many competition. There's a lot of competition for young people who are making career decisions, and indeed, people who are, might be making career-changing decisions. Um, so, so we're focusing on that group as well. And is part of the plan, Dermot, to get into the schools, get into the career guidance uh, teachers, to actively encourage them to sell the idea of apprenticeships. We seem to be very focused in this country on our sons and daughters getting degrees and they might get degrees to discover that there's no work at the end of it. I mean, what you're talking about with apprenticeships, it's almost guaranteed work here at home when they do qualify. I suppose on one hand, we we, we would like people to consider both CAO courses in the built environment, so engineering, and project management, etc., but also apprentice, apprenticeships. Both of them are just ways of learning. There's no difference really between them, except I suppose an apprenticeship is an employment uh, contract, and you, you get you get paid while you learn, and that's the ben- that's the benefit and a different way of learning. So we would encourage young people who are making career decisions 
to consider both paths and see which works for them. And indeed, we are working with various different training organizations to develop different paths to the same to the same destination. So for instance, civil engineering, we've developed an apprenticeship in civil engineering with ATU and Sligo. So if you want to do an apprenticeship in civil engineering, you can do it. And if you want to do an ordinary, well, a degree course in engineering, you can also do that. So we would encourage young people to to consider both apprenticeships and indeed uh, degree course. Yeah, look, in, look in, at all, look at all the options uh, that are out there. Yeah. Uh, and I knew when I would be talking to you about this, about encouraging some of those younger workers uh, to come back. Ones who you know who left. I mean, we've always had workers who go abroad for life ex- experience, um, and they've they've always planned to come back. But what we're trying to now, I think, say to these young people is come back sooner than what you had planned. But somebody straight away is saying, what about the availability of affordable housing? Will that be uh, an issue? I mean, it's the very houses. Uh, ironically, that we want them to build. But that will be an issue for some, won't it? It will indeed. And be naive to think that it's not. Um, I I would suppose that Irish people coming back will have bases here anyway. Um, But we need people to build the houses. Uh, And there are other technologies like off-site manufacturing that the industry is working on, which can deliver housing quicker. Okay. Um, So absolutely, I'm I'm not naive in that, but I, I looked at, for instance, people look look abroad and see faraway hills are greener. But, you know, if you're living in, in Australia, the property prices are 50% more expensive. Uh, grocery prices are 20% more expensive. Yeah, it's an expensive country. Childcare is 38 or, uh, and it's so And it's they, also very far away from home, Dermot. I think everyone accepts that. Anyone indeed. who's gone to Australia will, will, will say that. OK, yeah. somebody's asking, could you ask Dermot, are companies feeling the effects of the labour shortage at the moment? Are you turning? Are some they companies are. turning down business? Well, we recently did a survey of our members to see what is impacting on their business. Uh, what are the challenges that they're facing? And obviously, inflation was one of them. Cost prices, uh, wage inflation. Uh, but the number one issue that they indicated: seventy-six percent of all those who responded to our survey indicated that their challenge was recruiting appropriately skilled people. So in answer to your question, yes, they are. They are finding it difficult. But by the same token, it's a very resilient industry. And last year, when we're talking about apprenticeships, there were six, just over six and a half thousand apprentices registered in the craft section, which is construction related. So there is a very healthy recruitment, but we need more people. And I suppose we're no different than any other industry, but we're, we're, we're competing for, for the same talent. Okay. All right. We leave it there. Listen, Dermot, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good, good morning uh, to you. Just spotted uh, a WhatsApp in, but it's on that point that we made there. Uh, where are 50,000 workers going to live when they come home? Uh, we are in a catch-22 situation with the housing crisis. Uh, thank you for that. And my thanks to Dermot Carey, uh, Director of Safety, Education and Skills of the Construction Industry Federation of Ireland. Well, I've had quite a response to the email from the listener who says, don't read out my name or location. This is the listener whose husband is not romantic. He was always very romantic before they got married. But since they got married, he stopped all the romantic gestures. They discussed it only last weekend and uh, he he made the point that he feels uh, Valentine's Day is for single people and courting couples uh, only. He doesn't believe in giving frivolous gifts. Valentine's Day, not for married couples and even at Christmas, uh, he gave her a kettle and a toaster. Practical 
presence. She says he's a good, decent man, but he just stopped being romantic the day they got married. Kitty said, myself and himself said this year, we wouldn't get ourselves anything, mainly due to costs and we bills coming in. However, I went to work this morning and I was told there's something for you at reception. So I went to reception. Guess what? He had flowers and a box of chocolates delivered. I was chuffed. But now I've got to rush out and get him something for uh, later. You've got a keeper there, Kitty, that's for sure. A male caller who doesn't wish uh, wish to leave his name uh, says that he is one of those men who would buy a kettle and a toaster as a Christmas present. That woman who wrote to you should be grateful. A kettle will last forever, whereas the roses will be gone after a few days. Eileen says, my husband gave me a nice romantic weekend away, which we'll both go on and take up later this year. He believes in, in giving me things like that. As he says, the flowers will be dead in a few, day, few days. Last year, for example, he gave me a beautiful handbag. Not the really expensive ones, but he went out and chose the handbag himself. And I love it. It is the thought that counts for me. Tom says, that husband is right to buy something that would last. I'm not sure though about handing a woman a kettle and a toaster for Christmas. Does it not go back to the idea that women should be tied to the kitchen sink? Bill is listening to us in Florida in America. He's WhatsApp apt to say we're a gay couple. I bought flowers not roses though, says Bill. Why? Because roses triple or go higher in price at this time of year. And then I got candy and a card with credit card points and I'm not sure what credit card points is but I'm assuming it's like a gift card or something is it? My husband is happy with me being thrifty buying flowers not roses at the end of the day it's the thought um, and the gesture that uh, counts absolutely and then here's a lovely one we have been together 63 years now and we agree we don't need overpriced cards flowers and gifts to show how much we still love one another it's everyday words and everyday actions that count and actually mean something Mother's Day is another huge rip-off and a commercial money-making event. And that's from Ria and Francis in Skibbereen. Happy Valentine's Day to the both of you. John says that husband uh, is right. Valentine's Day is just another day. It's all fuss for nothing. Hi, Patricia. I really feel for that lady who's contacted your programme who doesn't get anything from her husband on Valentine's Day. And she most certainly, though, is not on her own. She thinks he changed, but he didn't. He just played it safe until he got that ring on her finger. He might be a decent enough husband, which is how she describes him, but he sounds like he's the boss now and she's not a priority anymore. He's looking after his own needs. She doesn't seem to matter. Is that not typical of a lot of men? Oh, God, no, I don't know if I agree with that. Anyway, I and by the way, I my advice to her, I would not lie, no matter how embarrassed I'd feel. I'd call it as it is. She'll feel a lot better for saying, no, my husband bought me absolutely nothing. Sorry if I'm sounding cruel, but he doesn't seem to be worried about her feelings at all. No name on that. Sheila says uh, to the lady who didn't get flowers or a card on Valentine's uh, Day. Her husband may have lived when money was very scarce. I always got money on Valentine's Day to buy whatever I wanted rather than my partner picking out something for me. People that throw flowers and cards at you, they might be no, there might be no good in them. What difference does it make what you get? One time when we didn't have a lot of money, my little boy asked, will there be flowers in the meadow for Mother's Day? Oh, and that's, what a wonderful thing for a child to do, to go out and pick his own flowers uh, for Mother's Day. People shouldn't be worrying about cards and flowers. That's from Sheila. How much of it is going back to uh, cost? And that is true. We spoke about Valentine's Day scams. Catherine was on, or poor old Catherine. She lost €2,200 
to a man online pretending to be somebody that he wasn't. Now, how she got scammed was she ended up playing online cards via Google Play on her phone and she ended up sending him 50 euro Google Play vouchers. And as she continued to play online, he wanted more and more money. In the end, she sent him a total of 2,200 euro. She did contact the Gardaí, uh, but they never heard of this particular card game on Google Play. So it was a complete scam. Uh, Please be careful, uh, ladies, uh, says that uh, listener. Okay, we're going to stay on Valentine's, going to the phone lines where Joe in uh, Kilmallock uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Morning, Patricia. Good okay. morning. Uh, you're welcome. Now, you have memories of Valentine's Day when your late wife was here. What did you used that, to do? That, that's right. Every every year, we used to go back to Corbett Court in outside Charleville. Wonderful we'd Corbett have, Court. A, a wonderful Corbett Court, and we'd have dinner there. Every Valentine's Day? Every Valentine's Day. And even if it was in the middle of the week? Yes, we'd always go back to Corbett Court. Ah. And now that she's gone... Uh, tonight, I will go over to Bulgarian. She's, uh, she's laid to rest inside the church ground in Bulgarian, and I'll go over and I'll lay a rose in her grave this evening. And how long and how long has she gone, uh, Joe? She's gone p- five years. Wow. Wow. So you so t- today is a day where you, you, well, you miss her every day, but you, you particularly think of her today. I think of her today, and I, I'll, I'll go over and I'll, lay, I'll put a rose in her grave this, day and now, t- t- this afternoon or this evening. Yeah, and I wonder, do you spot many other roses on graves, just a single no, red rose? No, no, I no. don't see any. No, 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 no. But I just feel that, uh, you know, you can't forget, you can't forget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Maybe, you know, we, had, we we were together 46 years. Wow. And it was always, it was always dinner on the night. It was just always one of those dinner. things. Yeah. Always yeah. dinner, always. Uh, she loved corporate court. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a nice thing to do as well, because you both get the benefit of a little romantic night out. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think I think it's fabulous. So that's yeah, that's yeah. something that other couples might pick up on. Okay, listen. Exactly. Thanks for that, Joe. Mind yourself. Oh, okay, bye. God bye, bless. Bye, God, bye, God bye. bless. And actually, this I got a bit of a giggle out of this when I saw this in the papers today. A Dublin man. Uh, now he's expecting an avalanche. I say in inverted commas of requests today because he's offered a service for somebody who's looking for company on Valentine's Day. He's a man in his fifties, Anthony O'Flaherty. And he's placed himself up for, in inverted commas, rent on social media. And he's got four packages at various prices. Now, now I have to say, our Anthony doesn't come cheap. If you pay him €200, Euro, you'll get what, he's, what he calls the friend zone package. He'll give you one hour of his time, basically just to hang out. No touching, no hand holding, holding, but it'll just make you feel a little bit less lonely. The innocent romantic package, that'll set you back €350. Euro, and it's described as a one-hour walk on the beach or in a park. He will hold your hand but only in private and you're not allowed to take any photographs. Then he has another official package which is €800. Uh, Euro. That is a two-hour evening date. He will throw in a meal and ice cream up to the value of €100. Euro. He spent more than that. Now that will include public hand-holding and a private kiss goodnight without tongues. For eight hundred euro, for an extra fifty euro, he will uh, he will pose for you for a photograph that you can put up on your Instagram account, and then his top offer will set you back two thousand uh, euro. You get a three hour date with Anthony with dinner and the movies. Uh, you get chocolates, um, unlimited hand holding in public, and a kiss goodnight. And also, he'll put your name on his Instagram bio 
for seven days after the date, but that'll cost you €2,000. He's a 57-year-old. He lives in Ballybriggan in Dublin. He's originally from Bradford in England. Now, he hasn't had any offers yet after putting this, and he's posted on a number of Dublin-based community um, pages. But he says he is expecting, expecting an avalanche of offers today for the day that's in it, for Valentine's Day. He's a classically trained singer, uh, and he works in the civil service and he hasn't even ruled out offering a free ser- serenade as part of the date. However, he says his tongue-in-cheek social media post is been taken in good spirit and the spirit it was meant. And he said it's given a lot of people a lot of laughs. He said it's all a bit of crack. He said some people go over the top on Valentine's Day while other can, others can find it very lonely. He said, I wanted to lighten the mood a little bit and give something for, for people to laugh about. He said, no offers yet, but plenty of funny comments and laughing emojis. Now, he does describe when he was asked about his current dating, he's between girlfriends at at the moment. So he said, you never know. He said, I might find somebody to hold hands with uh, today. He said, discretion is assured. What happens in the romance stays in the romance and he's open to payment plans. And that's when he added at the end, being a classically trained singer, a serenade uh, could even be in the offering for those who tip generously. So when I read about it first, I thought this guy was being serious. I thought, oh my God, the amount that he is charging, but he's not. It was all a bit tongue in cheek. It'll be interesting to see. Will, uh, young Anthony O'Flaherty, all 57 years young. Will he get any offers today? 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Carrick Navarre Senior Citizens, they're looking for a part-time chef. It's for their weekly lunch club and their lunch clubs are on Thursdays and Fridays so you'll be required to work 16 hours per week. CVs please to Carrick Navarre sc at gmail.com Nazareth House in Mallow have vacancies for an activity coordinator and a full-time health assistant. CVs to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com The OPW have positions available at the Mallow National Monuments District for a craft carpenter and a joiner. They're also looking for an apprentice in the craft of stone cutting and stone masonry. Application forms are available on their website, which is www.gov.ie. And the Inchidani Island Lodge and Spa. They've got full and part-time vacancies for receptionist, spa therapist and bar and waiting staff. CVs, please, to e. Shepherd at inchidoneyisland.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Figures released from the National Treatment Purchase Fund show that at the end of January there was 86,288 people on inpatient and day case waiting lists, of which just over 8,000 were waiting for treatment at Cork hospitals. To discuss what needs to be done, I'm joined by Fina Gale, uh, Dáil Deputy for Cork North Central, and that's uh, Colm Burke. Good morning to you, Colm. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Now, uh, the, the Colm, the, the figures there, they're just the inpatient waiting list, the outpatient waiting list. I mean, we're looking at figures over half a million uh, people. Are, are these lists getting longer or has there been any improvements? 
Well, I suppose one of the problems that we have, remember in 23 years now, we have an increase of 40% in the population. We've gone from, you know, three point, um, around 3.5, 3.6 million up to over um, 5.2 million. So we've had a 40% increase. Uh, we have an increase in the number of staff in the HSE, employed in the HSE. It's gone up from 103,000 to over 143,000. So there's an increase of 40% of staff. Our challenges in the healthcare sector is infrastructure. Um, if you need, say, for instance, to, for someone to have a procedure in, in, a, in a hospital theatre, it's about access to that theatre, and that's the challenge. But I think it's important to realise that over 3.5 million outpatient appointments outpatient appointments um, are dealt with every year. That's about 67,000 people a week a week go through outpatient departments right across the, the country in all our hospitals. So there's a, a huge volume of people uh, being dealt with. And I suppose the one other thing is that in Ireland, if you look at life expectancy in Ireland, and I know it's a totally different issue, but it's important that, you know, life expectancy in Ireland is one of the, the um, best uh, across the whole of Europe. So there's a lot of good things being done. The question is about people getting access to treatment in a faster time frame, and that's what we need to do. So it's the six um, surgical hubs and <coughs> the long-awaited elective hospitals, they'd be the solution. I mean, where are we at with those? Well, the surgical hub in Cork is going ahead and, um, you know, we're doing a reconfiguration of some of the services in Cork as well. For instance, the ophthalmology uh, unit is to transfer from the South Infirmary, or from the CUH to the South Infirmary. So all ophthalmology will be dealt with in the South Infirmary. And at the same time, we've opened, we've already opened the new facility in Ballincollig for ophthalmology as well. So non-surgical procedures will be dealt with there in Ballincollig and that's up and running. So it's a brand new unit. Um, remember, we've also built the um, extension out in, in Mallow um, and that's opened. We've built, uh, there's an additional 30 beds in in um, the Mercy University Hospital. So that's up and running. And then we have also provided an extra 60 beds in the orthopaedic generation to um, long-term care so that's gone from 50 beds up to 110. And we have a unit in Tower, which is almost completed as well, which is another 50 beds there as well, you know. So there's a lot of things being done. The question is, the elective hospital is key, not only just for Cork, but for all of Munster, because there's a lot of um, work that is daycare, and we cannot, we don't have enough access to theatres to provide that care, especially for any minor procedures. So you're saying the sta- the staff are there because, as you explained, the healthcare staff, you know, went up by 40 percent within the workers within the HSC. So you're saying the staff are there, but it literally it must be very frustrating for consultants who want to get a procedure done, but they yeah. they can't get theatre space. Oh, yeah. And for instance, that happened in relation to um, maternity, in relation to gynaecology, where we had over 4,000 people waiting on the waiting list in gynaecology. And what the consultants did in that case was that they actually physically got space down in the matter private hospital. They physically went down there and they got access to the theatres down there and did the procedures. And it just proves that once you have the infrastructure, you can deliver the service. The problem is, you know, because of the demand on theatre space and access to it is, is is hugely challenging and I think that's the one area that we should be looking at as well as the other issue that we probably would have to look at as well as for instance could we open 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. on Saturday, then how do you reschedule the staff to deal with that? You know, healthcare is not a five-day, you know, Monday to Friday, yeah. It's a seven-day service, and in all our hospitals, that seven-day service is provided. But the question is, could we use, put um, theatres to better use in our hospitals, but then that would have to have the agreement of staff and also the allocation of a sufficient number of staff. And the private hospitals are doing that and they're tending to use theatres longer um, from kind of in some hospitals. I know in Dublin they're starting at 6 in the morning, working right through until 7, 8 at night. So they obviously have a, a rota of staff who are changing um, during that time period and it's about the efficient use of, of the facilities that we have. Yeah. But we also, one of the things that we're really falling down was in Ireland and it's one of the issues that I've been raising for the last 10 years and that's the whole um, computerization of medical records. Um, for instance, we rolled out a full computerization of maternity services in four of our maternity hospitals, that's in, in, in Kerry, in Cork and then two others um, outside of Cork. Uh, there are 19 maternity units across the country. I do not understand, like this is five years on since that was started why it hasn't been rolled out in the other 19 units. Um, the new children's hospital, which has been built in, I know there's a lot of criticism of it, of the cost, but that will be all computerised. So it will not be paper files, it will be computerised files. And we're way behind all other countries in Europe in relation to um, computerisation. And I, I give you a simple example. Say for argument's sake, you're inside in Cork and CUH today, there's a paper, a paper file open for you. If you're down the Mercy Six months later, there's another paper file open for you. Whereas you look at, um, say, Denmark is one of the best examples I've seen where you have a patient medication card, you present your card, the person can immediately access your file. No matter where you are in the system or or where you are in the country, you could end up in a hospital in Dublin and that card should operate. That card should operate and that's the way we need to do it. And it's a a huge amount of time saving. I was recently speaking to a junior doctor who's working in James in Dublin and he's just so frustrated 
he spends 50% of his time chasing scans and x-rays and all of that because the system there is not up to date. He should be able to get access to that on a computer without having to ring people, follow up, talk to the person who did the the scan or the x-ray. Uh, you know, this it is should be all at the touch of a button. Yeah. All at the yeah, touch of a yeah. button. And that's what we're hoping to do now with the new children's hospital. Um, and by the way, I can see a couple of people asking about the elective hospital, uh, the one earmarked uh, for uh, St. Stephen's Hospital in Glanmire. What is the update on that? And, and is, is The it update been... on that, and I, I raised it recently at the health committee when the minister was in, uh, and that's in relation to... Um, my understanding is that it's with a design team at this stage. Okay. The design hasn't been completed. Um, we then have to go through the planning process. Um, but, you know, I'm disappointed that we're not further advanced in that because it's a crucial element in relation to provision of healthcare, not just in Cork, but all of Munster. And I think the site that we've chosen, Sarsis Court, remember, we're talking about the whole North Ring Road and we have the Cork Dublin Road there as well. So you'd have access to a whole, not just Cork, but all of Munster. And it's about building an infrastructure that can provide um, the level of care that we require. And then medicine has gone very specialised. So if you have, say, a consultant above in Limerick who specialised in a particular area, if he could use that elective hospital to do certain procedures, likewise someone from Waterford, and then as well as having people from Cork there as well. Mm. Okay, but I just you know the the minute we talk about building a new hospital, and and you touched on it when you mentioned the National Children's Hospital, you know, long overdue, and the costs are just gone almost off the Richter scale. I mean, interesting it, though. But if you look at um, if you go into a Facebook page called Sick Kids Foundation, which is in Canada, where they're building new children's hospital there, and it's to cost three point six billion Canadian dollars, which is about two point six billion euros. And they built in a 15% inflation in the cost per annum in the building that is a five-year program. But it's an interesting project to look at. And it's interesting from the point of view is that the government there are only providing two thirds of the money. The other one third has to be raised by the um, the people involved. And so far they've raised over one billion Canadian dollars. And that's because there's a buy-in by everyone from the computer companies to the um, the um, pharmaceuticals uh, operate, producers to the IT people, uh, medical devices, they've all contributed to the building of that hospital and they've raised, and ordinary people in the street as well, have contributed to it and there's over one billion Canadian dollars are raised. So there's a whole buy-in by the community. Um, and I think whereas, whereas you look at this country, it'll be 10 years next year since the application was lodged uh, for the hospital at St. James's Hospital. And, and initially we were expecting it to cost 650 million and to be completed by 2020. Yeah, I think the issue, though, in relation to the first contract was that that was just the infrastructure. And I think that wasn't explained fully. That was just the infrastructure of the, you know, the the excavation, the erection of the pillars, the putting in of the floors, but all of the other infrastructure was a separate contract. And I think that wasn't explained sufficiently at the very start. I think there was, there was a lot of misinformation out there as to what it would cost. But I do think it's the best way forward because this is not just for, you know, 2026, No, it's for future generations. It's for yeah. the next 50, okay. 60 years. Okay. And, I think and that's just, the important thing. Just very finally, before we let you go, I take it, will you be keeping an eye this afternoon on the Aractus Media uh, Committee? They've got RTE before them again. 
Absolutely, and I mean, you know, we're we're in the Public Accounts Committee, we're looking for additional powers in order to bring in RT again. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. You know, there was um, a lot of, I suppose, not only about the payments out to people working there, but also in relation to redundancy uh, payments. There's questions about that, and I think we still haven't got all of the answers. Okay, uh, a lot of people, it's like sitting down watching the movies. I think a lot of people will be tuned in again this afternoon. Listen, Colin, we have to leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for taking no, time no. out. Okay, uh, you're good, very welcome. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fine Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy for Cork North Central. That is Colin Burke. And Michael says, hi, Patricia, by text, listening to Colin Burke, TD, talking about our health service. I think our health, our health service is a farce, says our Michael. Uh, in my GP practice, uh, they're now only open for a half a day, and they never answer the phone. We're all being constantly told to go to our GP when we have symptoms etc but where does that leave patients when there are not enough GPs uh, available and it's not the only practice in our area doing this also if you go to Southstock they don't have access to the patient's records which then makes it very difficult for the patients and for the doctors Uh, I also think while technology based records are great what happens when there's a cyber attack like the one we had during the pandemic bed capacity is also one of the main factors in surgeries being cancelled I think, says Michael. Well, I think Colin Burke would agree with you on that one. It is it is the bed capacity. They have increased. He said the population has gone up by 40%, uh, but he said also the staff numbers of the HSE has gone up by 40%. And while there has been some additional capacity, there hasn't been enough. That's why he talks about those uh, surgical hubs and the, uh, the elective hospitals that need to be built. But just... I think people get worried when we hear about the building of any hospital when you look at what's going on with the children's hospital and you kind of we forget about the children's hospital it makes the headlines and then it disappears for another while and then it comes back again and every time it comes back into the news we're all aghast as what as what we're, ta- we're what we're told about the new children's hospital but the one yesterday was just um out uh, um, just the mind boggled yesterday and it actually broke while I was on air yesterday and it came the news came in that the the bill to and it is to the taxpayer at the end of the day we pay for the building of the very now delayed National Children's Hospital it's now gone well over 2 uh, billion and yet the government still cannot give us an exact date of when that hospital will start treating patients. Stephen Donnelly has now been given cabinet approval for an extra 512 million so that will bring the final total bill as as it stands to 2.24 billion. Now Lever Adker the Taoiseach admitted there will be years of disputes with the contractor BAM about payments and that's even when the hospital is fully open so it mightn't end at that figure. He told the Dáil uh, but he did say in the Dáil that the government will not be allocating any more money towards the uh, uh, project. He said construction on the hospital will be completed completed later this year, fingers crossed. Uh, with the, the aim is to have it finished by October, so they'll hand over the keys in October. And he said the hospital then will be open and treating patients next year, but he couldn't give a definite date. Uh, Stephen Donnelly went on you know, to talk about €770 million Euro in claims have been put forward by BAM, but it went to an adjudicator and in the end they got €645 uh, mil- million. Def- 
defending the cost was the Thonish the Micheál Martin. He said the hospital will be worlds away from where we are now in terms of care and facility for children and families and we accept that but we need it now. You know, we don't need to be still uh, waiting. He also, good to hear Micheál Martin say that he believes lessons can be learned uh, particularly how the costs managed to rocket. When asked whether he could guarantee that the cost of the facility will not rise further, Micheál Martin says the hospital authorities are confident that it's within this ballpark of 2.24 uh, billion. Now, the public expenditure minister, Pascal Donoghue, he obviously got involved in the debate. He said the extra funding allocated the hospital. He says it'll be the last significant settlement made until the project is complete. Now, obviously, that left the door wide open for the Sinn Féin leader uh, over on the opposition benches, Mary, um, Mary Lou MacDonald, to have a go. She said that the escalating costs strikes at the heart of the government's credibility. She said the hospital is incomplete. The doors aren't open. The children are not being treated. And despite billions now being spent, we still don't have a date. We, she says we can't have confidence when the hospital will be up and running. Now, the National Paediatric Hospital Development Board, they confirmed last year that the hospital won't be handed over to Children's Health Ireland by BAM until October of this year and that's at the earliest. And Children's Health Ireland then, once they get the keys, they then move in and they say they need at least six months to make the facility operational, which indicates that even if they did it best to get the keys in October, it would be at least April of next year, again at the earliest, before they would admit their first uh, payment. And therefore, because of all that, the government cannot give a commitment on when that hospital will be up and running. And I was looking through, because uh, when, when, it, when it came yesterday, when I came off air, I was looking back on different pieces and different reports on the hospital, just trying to remind myself when did it all kick off. And it was as I mentioned to Colin back, it was back in 2015. That's when an application was lodged to build the hospital at St. James's Hospital campus. At the time, we were told €650 million euro, and we were told it would be completed by 2020. The then Health Minister, who happens to be our Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, was so convinced that the hospital would be up and running by 2020 that, and I quote, he said in 2016, short of an asteroid hitting the planet, that hospital will be completed by 2020. Don't look to the skies. I don't know if an asteroid hit or not. So still in that year, 2016, BAM, they were awarded the building uh, contract and they at that stage said the completion date would be August of 2022. That then went to November of 2022. Now that was in 2016. That was pre the pandemic. Then obviously we, the pandemic happened in 2020 and there was two construction shutdowns. So then we move forward to October of 2022 and the Oireachtas Health Committee was told at that point that the hospital wouldn't be opened until the end of 2024 and that target is now we know not going to be missed. The end of January the Health Minister speaking at the Oireachtas Health Committee said it was really hard to see if if the, if he was confident that the construction would be completed this year, he indicated that the National Paediatric Hospital Development Board, the body overseeing the construction, are unsure of completion dates. And that was uh, a couple of weeks ago, at the end of January. So then we moved to yesterday when Stephen Donnelly was asked to speak about it again. And he said a new completion timeline now, which should see patients treated by April slash May of next year. But that will only happen if BAM meet their deadline of October of 2024. So we have to keep fingers crossed that BAM will have everything done 
by October, hand the keys over and then let the fitting out and the kitting out of the hospital happens. And if that all goes according to plan, it will be April, May of uh, next year. It's just hard to believe there are children who were children in 2015 who are now and would have needed to go into one of those hospitals who are now young adults and they've moved into the adult section. 0818 103 103. Can I go back to Valentine's for a moment and lighten the mood? Because we sent our reporter Stephen Fox along to Skull Gobnathon in Mallow. We wanted to find out what the children of Skull Gobnathon think about Valentine's Day. My name is Kyla. Amelia. What do you think about Valentine's Day? I always go and give Mommy my favourite teddy from Valentine's Day. I also give her a big hug. And if I give my dad it as well, then Daddy might bring me to Little Rascals. Little Rascals. Little Rascals is a beautiful place where you can have fun places. Like, there's a rainbow slide. There even is a black tunnel slide. That is my most favourite. And there's also a small tunnel slide and there's a rainbow slide in a baby area. Well, the baby area is for Clara, but sometimes she goes in a big area. It's really fun. And what about you, Amelia? What do you do on Valentine's Day? I give my mum a group hug and she always gives me a kiss. She always brings me to Smith's on Valentine's Day when I be good. And you have been good this year? Yeah. My name is Junior. And what's your name? Hannah Eve. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. What do you think about when you think about Valentine's Day? Make cards and give presents. So who would you make cards for? Your mom, mm-hmm. your family, your grandparents, aunties. And what kind of presents would you give? A flower. We would make cards for my mom and my dad and my little sister. Angel. And yourself? My name is Edie. Pinyel. My name is Richard. I make cards. Mm-hmm. And who would you give them to? My mom and my dad. I give cards and I make, I give presents, maybe flowers. What colour flowers? Red. Dinner and cards. So what would you make for dinner? Turkey and chips. I would get some money for my mum and then buy her a plane so she could go on holidays. Where would you like to go on holidays, do you think? Mexico. So what's your name? Selimu. Daniel. Ashley. Helping my mum clean the house. What kind of jobs would you do? Do the dishes. How many of you live in the house? Four. So a lot of dishes then? Yeah. Give cards to people and be nice. Who would you give the cards to? My friends and family. I would give my mum some money. And what do you think she'd use it for? Going shopping. What kind of things does she like to buy? New dresses and shoes. My name is Rebecca. My name is Jay. I'm going to be writing letters to my mum and dad of how much I care about them. And I'm also going to be writing letters to my friend. And also me. I might be writing some cards for my mom and dad or my friends or my granddad or my nana. <laughs> They're the sweetest children. I love the child who wanted to buy a plane for her mammy <laughs> and her mammy would go to Mexico. <laughs> uh, thank you to uh, Stephen and thank you to the uh, children, to the boys and girls of uh, Skull Gobnathon in Mallow. We also went out on the streets of Cork to find out what do adults want? For Valentine's Day. Definitely steak on the menu, yeah, and a nice dessert. Dinner, drinks and stuff like that, yeah. It's nice. Tapas and a couple of drinks and that's it, yeah. Personally going to be with my friends. Galentine's, oh, love it. I would love a little bit of sparkle or something like that. I just got herself a watch and keens there. So she's actually uh, in hospital at the moment, so I said I'd try and treat her a bit extra this year now. Anything. <laughs> 
a romantic bunch there are giving a watch as a Valentine's present. Wasn't that the sign of a secret engagement once upon a time, if my memory serves me right? 0818 103 103. My 18 year old son says a listener just gave me a box of military for Valentine's Day. He said just because. Oh, that is the sweetest thing. Uh, Hi, Patricia. Today makes me a little bit sad. It's my late mother's birthday. I'll be putting flowers in her grave later on the plus side. My husband presented me with a card and flowers uh, this morning. And someone else has just spotted on the front page of the Irish Examiner. There's a lovely, it's a gorgeous photograph of two florists uh, chatting to a a lady. Someone says, I wonder, did they give her a bunch of uh, flowers? I was in Clonakilty. Yeah, it was a gorgeous photograph. Uh, Elizabeth in Formoy. I was in the city centre yesterday and when I was walking back to the car I saw a young fella must have been in his early 20s walking down the street he had flowers a teddy bear and chocolates and I thought to myself romance is not dead. Some of your thoughts coming in we were talking with the Construction Industry Federation earlier on and this is a campaign by the Minister of Higher Education, uh, Simon Harris, he's hoping to go abroad and it will be countries uh, predominantly like Australia, but they'll be looking at England and also parts of uh, Europe where younger construction workers have left and gone abroad to work. They want those construction workers to come home because we reckon they we need about uh, 50,000 construction workers for the next 10 years because of the amount of houses that we need to uh, build. And a question came in in the middle of it then about colour blindness when it comes to uh, electrical apprenticeships. So when Elaine has been, uh, has heard me mention that and said, uh, Lane says, Hi Patricia, I was the mother that was on to you last year about my son who lost out uh, on a mechanical apprenticeship due to colour blindness. And I remember talking to Elaine, uh, her son had a garage that was willing to take him on and, and everything. And it was heartbreaking because it was his career, it was the career he always wanted to do. Anyway, Elaine says, I'm still communicating with my local TDs, also communicating with Simon Coveney regarding this issue. So Solace could do a lot more to help with this, but I've done what I can from my side and I will not give up no matter how long it takes. My son is working somewhere else, thank God, and he's young enough that if legislation changes, even if it takes years, he should still be able to get a chance to perform his dream job. Colour correction glasses are available to students in UCC and have been since last year. So hopefully that symbolises a shift in attitudes towards inclusion of people who have colour vision problems. Kind regards a mother still on a mission. <laughs> There's nothing like a mother on a mission. Uh, Elaine, uh, keep us in the in the loop. Yeah, and it just and I know in other countries they they wear the corrective glasses and they're allowed to become and they're allowed to do those apprenticeships. And particularly when we're screaming out for apprentices at the moment, a mechanical we need mechanics along with all of the other apprenticeships. But mechanics, I know it was construction industry we're talking about today, but I know mechanics are in very short supply as well. Thank you for your update, uh, Elaine. Melissa in Ballon has said, do they really expect people who are earning good money in Australia, uh, many who have completed their regional work like my son has to return to this country? My son currently lives in uh, Sydney and while he is working 12 hour days, his quality of life is fantastic. He can spend the other 12 hours relaxing on a beach in the evening time. He regularly says, ma'am, I know I will be able to get a house here in the future, but I can never see myself buying a house at home. With that kind of a mentality, how are we expecting to attract people like 
like my son home. Nula, her son has also gone to Australia three years uh, ago. He's working in Brisbane. He's loving his life down under. Uh, he does work hard and he works long hours, but he knows later in life he'll actually be able to purchase a home. He's an engineer, so he's on really good money. In a few months' time, his company are giving him a Jeep. And while her son accepts that prices are expensive in Brisbane, he has the wages to match those uh, prices. But it's the hope for the future he sees and he doesn't see that hope here in this country. And that's what they're this campaign from Simon Harris to try to get them to change their minds and to look at this country with some hope in mind. Michael says, wouldn't they build a lot of houses with two and a half million uh, euro when we look at the cost of the children's hospital? The same crack is happening with the event centre in Cork, which is now also in the wrong place. It's time to remove the event centre from the proposed site and the people of Cork should uh, build on it. Um, Yeah, Michael, well, they haven't. They they turned the sod. I only mentioned this yesterday. It was Monday of this week was the eighth anniversary of the now infamous sod turning. Um, And it was discussed this week. Tonish Miho Martin is uh, refusing to be drawn on how much money is now required to ensure delivery of the proposed 6,000 capacity venue. The government have already pledged 57 million through grants and state aid. It's it's understood that 35 million to 45 million extra is going to be required now to deliver the venue. Cork City Council, which is overseeing the process, have submitted documents on the final costing with the developers BAM. It's BAM again. We're just talking about BAM with the Children's Hospital uh, and also the Live Nation, who they're the venue operators. And they're preparing a memo for Cabinet, which will decide whether to sanction the additional fundings. Michael Martin was asked this week if the government is prepared to to give additional money. And that's on top of the 57 million that has already been pledged. And he said he's looking at the broader picture in terms of the proposed venue, the impact on the city and it's uh, and uh, assessing the request based on that. And, he, you know, he went on to talk about how great this will be uh, for the city and, you know, cited the recent Munster Crusaders again with over 45,000 people in Porky Cueve illustrating the importance of having those uh, events. But you will never have an event that size because even when it's built, it's, it's only going to be a 6,000 seat capacity. Anyway, he says an event centre in uh, Cork could have regular series of events of different kinds and the impact that would have on the city's uh, e- economy. But it's still very much on the table uh, and I'm assuming this is also from Michael saying I feel it should be one price for a construction company and if they can't commit to that side then they should walk away and terminate the the, the contract but you see what seems to happen is they start the build and now it isn't the case with the convention centre but certainly with the children's hospital they started it and then as they're going along they come back and say oh we need more money we need more money we need more money so I, I don't know what you do then with uh, the contract Stephen Amato says how come this children's hospital price has gone through the roof and will they have all of the nurses and doctors and the medical staff that they need in order to run this hospital? What other hospitals? We know that other hospitals around the country are short on nurses and doctors uh, already and my bigger issue with this big fantastic hospital and it will be a fantastic children's hospital and it'll be a huge benefit to children of the future but my big one whatever about employing if they can get the nurses and doctors because a lot of the nurses and doctors obviously will move from the existing children's hospital campuses and they'll move into the new hospital so I don't know how many additional um, ones we need but they're, they're obviously with a hospital that size they will need additional staff but even if we recruit them where are they going to live? I mean that's the huge problem particularly in Dublin the cost of even if you can find 
housing. It's trying to find uh, affordable housing in Dublin. And Jim is in Shannon listening to us talk about the Children's Hospital and the cost of it. Uh, he says the minister suggested that BAM is under resource, is under resource, has less resources to finish the hospital. Is he saying BAM is short of money? Well, I don't, what, what he said was that BAM, BAM put in for um, 770 million more in claims. That's what BAM said was put forward by BAM. There was an adjudicator moved in and the adjudicator came back and said that what they would give the contractor was 425 million. They adjudicated on the awards. So that means there's a shortfall there of about 125 million. I think I, I think the shortfall is. And that's why Leo Varadkar admitted that there will be years of disputes with the contractor BAM about payments even when the hospital is open. So it's not that BAM are going to walk away but they look for 770 and they have been given 645 uh, million. Uh, I, listen, uh, I know that figure that we're, we're now at 2.24 billion euro is where we're at now. When we started out at the estimated costs of 650 million was the starting out one. So like we're, we're way off where we started on it. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it won't end at 2.24 billion. There'll probably be I'll probably be here in this seat later on in the year talking about the Minister for Health having to give out more money. 0818103103 and just staying on uh, health, Amelia in Rathpeakin says, I find it impossible to get an appointment with my local GP. When I ring lately, it can be three days before I get an appointment. With Southstock, it can be similar. You can be waiting hours. I have, luckily I have VHI and over the years I've had to travel to their Swift Care Centre in Mahan, which is great. But while I can afford private health insurance, I'm very conscious that many others can't. And why should we as taxpayers have to use these private services? Uh, And we have to because our public services are full. We are gone the way of America, where it's a health service for those that can afford and very little for those that uh, can't. Surely as taxpayers, we deserve more. Uh, 0818103103 and on the overspending on the Children's Hospital, Texter says, uh, there's those government TDs and senators who come onto your programme regularly, Patricia, looking for sympathy and playing the underdog card. At the end of the day, they are in government. They need to get things done. The HSE should have had an outline should have been online. This was one of the issues we discussed uh, with Cullen Burke. They should have been online years ago and should have been digitally connected. I think they should have done that a decade ago for flip's sakes, is this texter. The excuses are inexcusable. Yeah, and Cullen Burke made that point. In other countries, they seem to do it very, very effectively, but we don't hear. And as somebody pointed out, if you go to South Dock, uh, they can't even access your files there, whereas everything was digital. And if you had a card that you would present to any hospital, any doctor, any HSE, you know, facility. It should have all of your records on it. But unfortunately, we don't seem to be anywhere near that. Even though Colm says it's working in the maternity services here in the South. So hopefully if it's working well there, we will see it rolled out to other parts of the health service in this country. Gardening questions, keep them coming, please. Oh, you can text or WhatsApp 086 
0862 103 103 or John Paul's taking gardening questions at 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Now today is the final day if you want to add your name to the list for people interested in purchasing the Donnerail Memories book which completely sold out before Christmas. Call them at 87 685 Rahan Community Association was formed last year and it incorporates the Text Alert Group. They're holding their AGM tonight at 8 in Rahan School. Guest speakers are Community Garda John Fitzgerald and Dermot Cronin from Winchinatera will give a demonstration about the Corda app for phones and its benefits for everyone's personal use and for crime prevention in the community. All are welcome to go along tonight. The monthly Mass in honour of St Pio, that's on in St Joseph's Church in Lismire, 8 o'clock tonight. And as it's Ash Wednesday, Ashes will also be distributed uh, uh, tonight. And the monthly Carer Support Group, in Besber Daycare Centre in Black Rock will be held this afternoon between three and half past four. This support group is held on the second Wednesday of each month and it offers a safe, supportive environment to share experiences along with information and practical support for from their dementia advisors. Everyone's welcome. More information, 21 4972504 and a table quiz in aid of Mallow senior footballers will be held tomorrow night 8 o'clock in Maureen's Bar on O'Brien Street all are welcome and it is tables of 4 for 40 euro and please note that the Newmarket Horse Fair uh, will be held tomorrow in Newmarket Cork today on C103 with McCarthy Insurance Group proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships want great advice you know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Reminder to you, your next big way to win here on C103 kicks off next Monday where we have thousands of free money up for grabs. All you have to do is snap the app. What are we talking about? If you haven't already done it, we need you to download the C103 app to your phone and snap a screenshot of it to prove that you have downloaded the app. Then stay listening for your chance to WhatsApp in. If we call you back, then you'll be a qualifier for that programme. You go through to a daily draw. That draw will be held with Martina in the afternoon and every day starting next Monday, uh, Martina will be handing out €500 Euro worth of free money. But it's important that you snap the app, download it today and therefore be ready to play and we'll be kicking that off next Monday, the 19th of February, only on C103. And before I get to some of your texts that are coming in, keep the gardening ones uh, coming as well. Just to give you an update, you remember yesterday and actually we had a lovely reaction uh, to uh, Trish who joined us from Kinsale who was having a huge problem with uh, Vodafone and they had disconnected her landline and she was hanging out a window talking to us on her mobile phone because where she lives in Kinsale she's got very bad mobile phone uh, reception and she was outlining to us what had happened. She changed her contract, she'd been with Vodafone there was a mix up with her bills and it's been going on for the last few months and 
she was just so frustrated so she got on to us to see if we could help out in any way so we did get on to uh, Vodafone on uh, Trisha's behalf uh, yesterday and I'm delighted to say that Vodafone came back to us yesterday to say we are currently looking into this issue and have been in contact with Patricia in Kinsale we were very sorry for the inconvenience that's been caused and we're going to resolve it as soon as possible we did get an email yesterday afternoon from Trish to say that a very pleasant young woman from Vodafone in Dublin called her. Uh, so we're now waiting on an update from Patricia in Kinsale because I want to know for sure that her landline is back up and running and also that the issues with her bill have been sorted. But I think the most pressing problem that uh, Trish has is that her landline was out of action. And because she has mobility issues, she's finding it very, very difficult to make a call because she's got to go up the stairs, hang out the upstairs window in order to make a call, which is not ideal. And obviously then when she's downstairs, if the phone rings, it's not ringing if she's downstairs. It'll only ring when she's upstairs. So she needs to have her landline back up and running. So I will update you when we hear back from from Trish. But I know a lot of people yesterday were quite taken with how lovely, 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 lovely lady and everybody was hoping that her issue would be sorted out sooner rather than uh, later. Hi, uh, Patricia, this is Audrey. My brother and his family left Ireland to go to Australia 40 years ago. He'd never come back to live here here again. He has a great life down under. I've been there three times. What a wonderful life they have in Australia. Yeah, and in fairness, people who left 40 years ago would never be returning. They left at a very, very different time in a very different Ireland. But I think what the minister and listening to the Construction Federation, Dermot Carey, who joined us, who, who they're really aiming it at are the people, the young people that have left in the last number of years. Because it happens every year, young people leave and go abroad for experience and they'll go away for a few years. And they've always gone away with the intention of coming back. They're trying to get some of those to come back sooner than what they'd actually planned, whether they'll be successful or not. I don't know. But it's also good to hear that they're going to work on pushing apprenticeships, try to get young people to get involved in apprenticeships and get involved in trades here uh, as well and start educating our young people to go into the construction centre. Hi, Patricia. I heard that lady saying she has to wait three days to get an appointment at her local GP. Well, I can beat that. I'm waiting three weeks to see a nurse in Charleville. It is a joke. I'd be back on to this. No, why would you be waiting that long? I'd be ringing them every day to try and and move that one on. Uh, Hi, Patricia. You mentioned uh, Simon Harris, uh, the minister. Yes, I did. He's now the minister for higher education. Is that the same Simon Harris that was in health? Did he not make a mess of the children's hospital and then run away from it? Now, I should do a quick Google search because I do remember Simon Harris had been the minister for health. So I did a quick search. He was the minister for health from 2016 to 2020. So he would have taken over the application was lodged uh, in 2015 and the then health minister was the now Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. And in 2016, it was Leo Varadkar who promised and said short of an asteroid hitting the planet, that hospital would be completed by 2020. He moved away from the Department of Health then. And then obviously it was at that point in time that uh, Simon Harris took over and he was there until uh, 2020. Uh, when the uh, but he would have been there when the contract was uh, awarded. I'm I'm assuming and all of that. So yes, he did play a role in the uh, children's uh, hospital. Okay, I can see some of your questions coming in for 
Peter, keep those uh, coming. Uh, we'll be going to Peter in just a moment. But I just want to bring you the figures that are out. The examiner of a really good piece today. And this is on the Garda numbers in uh, Cork stations. And it's, it's actually quite stark because they list out all of the Garda stations all across the city and county and it's showing how stations have fallen, their garden numbers have fallen are they've stayed static and staying static is almost as bad as the ones who have fallen because when you look over the past 10 years there has been a rapidly growing population and there has been also unfortunately increasingly complex nature of crime so if anything with the population base alone we spoke about that earlier how the population has gone up by uh, 40% in the last uh, 10 years and, you know, we need to work on our hospitals to make sure that we have enough hospital space for the for the growth in our population. But likewise, we have to make sure that we have enough Gardaí out on the beat. If you look at census, our last census that we did in 2022, that shows that the population of Cork grew by 8%. Uh, that was from the previous census, which was 2016. But Garda numbers all over Cork fell slightly over that same period. In 2023, there was 1,213 Gardaí across the city and county. But if you look back to 2016, that figure was 1,224. Now, I know it's a small number, but it's still a drop considering the population went up by 8%. You would have at least hoped and thought that the Garda figures would go up corresponding with the increase in the population, but it certainly it went the other way. In December of last year, 2023, the Cork City Guard, the division, they had 699 Gardena. That was an increase in 2016, where it was at at 644. The Cork North uh, Division, there was a drop there between uh, 2023 and 2016, they went from 300 in the Cork North Division down to 229. So that's quite a jump for the Cork North Division. Uh, Cork West had a slight increase. They went from 280 to 285. But as I say, the examiner today lay out all of the Garda stations across the city and county and they show 2014 2022 and 2023, the numbers of Gardaí that are stationed at each of the barracks, uh, at each of the stations, but seven of them, I had to do a count on this, seven of the guard, seven of the stations in Cork City and County don't have any Garda based there. And they include Ballydehob, Ballydesmond, Carrignavar, Drina, Durris, Glengariff and Terrelton. So seven have no Gardaí based uh, uh, in them at all. And the, the now some of them, there are so, some stations obviously that did see an increase. Uh, Bishopstown in Cork, for example, slight increase. They went to 17 from 12. Bantry had 32 Gardaí in 2014. That's gone to 40 in 2022, but then it fell back last year to 37, but it's still an increase on 2014. Formoy had 54 Gardaí in 2014. That rose to 70 in 2022, fell back by five last year. It's at 65 in 2023. And Mallow, they had 50 Gardaí in 2014 and that now has gone to uh, 64 in 2023. So a small number did see uh, an increase. Now, almost 6,400 people, and we mentioned this earlier in the week, they applied to train to be Gardaí. This is under the latest recruitment uh, round. And of course, the reason we were talking about it was 2,300 of the applicants, which is almost 
almost 37% of those applied are aged between 35 and 49. And this is the first uh, competition for members of Angarda Siakana following the government's decision to increase the entry age uh, limit to bring it up from 35 to 15. Now, the Gardaí and the department say they intend to run Garda recruitment campaigns annually and that is to ensure that there will be a steady stream of Garda trainees which obviously then will offset those that are retiring and unfortunately those that are deciding to leave the force. And I saw Damien Boylan who is the Fine Gael councillor for Cork City uh, North West and he's also head of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee. He said the issue of Garda recruitment is brought up constantly at all of their Joint Policing Committees. He says this is not just a Cork issue, it is a national issue. Infrastructure and services in line have not grown to meet the population increase. He said, we're constantly battling with the Minister, looking for more resources for Cork. We fight for guard the numbers, anxious that we maintain those specialist units and that we've more community guardi because uh, Damien Boyle makes the point, community guardi, we know they are the most effective guardi on the ground. So if you ever get your hands on the examiner today, they've got a really good piece, but it's just quite stark to see all the the different stations uh, around Cork City and County and the ones that have fallen and the small number that have increased. And Peter Dowdrell, the IrishGuardian.com uh, joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How I, are you? I'm very, I'm very well, thank you. And we're going to get straight into uh, questions. Poor old John Inkel Michael says, Hi, Patricia. With the last few years, I've scarified my lawn with a petrol scarifier from us. I always spread a fertiliser afterwards just to help the lawn. But I've noticed this year, it's worse than ever. It's like walking on air at the moment. Uh, thanking you. Any advice from Peter? Welcome, please. I can't give much advice except what he's doing, if I'm honest with, with you. Um, it's just, moss is, per- is particularly bad over the last 12 months because it thrives in a warm and damp climate, which is exactly what we've been enjoying for the last, well, all the time, really. Um, scarifying it, which is, for those who, who aren't used to it, is just like a mechanical rake. You're kind of raking out the thatch out of the top surface of the lawn. That is really the best thing you can do for the lawn. It allows air in and, a, you know, it should remove a lot of the moss. I wonder, when he says he fertilises it, I wonder what he's using. So uh, if you remember, I think it was last week we had a question. Somebody was wondering why the, f- the farmer's fields are always moss-free and our lawns are full of moss. And I suspect the answer is because they apply lime to it. So if you, you, you can get products that will, or even just garden lime onto the lawn, which will increase the alkalinity of your, of your soil, which will make create conditions that moss doesn't like. So if you're using a fertilizer or a lawn moss killer or weed feed and moss killer that's got sul- sulfate of iron in it, that will only compound the problem in time because it makes the soil more acidic, which is exactly what moss wants. So I wonder if you are using a sulfate of iron based fertilizer or if John is, uh, maybe change it and maybe maybe just use a garden lime and see if that helps. Okay, back scarifying again and let us know how you get on. Could you ask Peter, please, do you, do daffodils need sunshine to flower? Mine are in the shade facing north and I'm wondering now, will they flower? They do need sunshine, let's be honest. I think um, uh, if they're in heavy shade, then no. Like, I mean, they'll tend to flower. Tend, they tend to be pretty forgiving, but if it's heavy shade, uh, that that would is probably what's stopping them from flowering. There is a, a possibility, obviously. We have this every year, Trish. 
as you well know, that when people will, will say my daffodils have flowered in the past, but no, they're not. And that is a case that they could be gone blind. So if these ones have flowered before, but it's not, now they're not flowering, then it could be just that they're gone blind. And what that means is that the bulb has got too congested underground to lift them and divide them and, and replant them. But if they've never flowered there, I suspect because it's, it is not enough sunlight, Jess. Okay, let's go back to moss on grass. Somebody, Liz has the very same uh, problem that we've just identified. Uh, she wants to know when does she scarify it and wants to know, do I use moss killer before I scarify? I don't. So the, the, the answer to the first part of the question is to scarify in March. You could do it in March or September. No, it's not a, it's not a hard and fast rule like most things in gardening. In other words, if you come to the first of April, that doesn't mean you can't do it. But ideally, the best time is March and then September. The reason I would go with March in preference is because the lawn looks terrible after you scarify it, uh, and in March, with the the hopefully increasing temperatures and better weather, it'll recover quicker than it will in September. So, um, I don't use a, a moss killer beforehand. No, uh, I might put on a, a moss killer or or just garden lime afterwards. Uh, but not beforehand no I don't but you can, again you can if you want Okay P- Breather in Mallow could you ask Peter please is now the right time to cut back my holly bushes I'm trying to make a thick hedge from the holly bush it is they are full of berries as the birds didn't eat them this year it's top heavy I'd like to give it a good bit of a cut back is now the right time God, I'm surprised to hear that the berries are still there yeah, the berries are still on mine too, actually. They're, they're, and there was quite a lot of berries on them this year, yeah. Um, the answer to the question is yes, because you've kind of got to find enough, find enough window because they'll be flowering soon for next winter's berries. Now, realistically pruning it at all, you probably you may well prevent the flowers coming, but um, they're not on it yet. So I would say yes, over the next few weeks is the time to do it. But then, of course, you are removing berries. So if we do get a cold spell, uh, which we might might do, you may remove some, some bird food. But... Um, uh, I would say if you want to cut it back to thicken it up then do it now yeah OK John and Kill Michael with his moss problem and scarifying it and so he's walking on air is back quick as a flash to say uh, he puts 10-10-20 fertiliser and a granulated lime every year on the oh, well, after John, John, John and Kill Michael is doing the right thing well I, I'd, I'd lay off the agricultural fertiliser because there's no need for it um, I, would, I would just go with the, the garden lime um, or the, the granulated lime and, and leave it at that I'd say that should be enough for it Okay, two questions in on a red robin. Mary in Kinsale wants to know, can she cut her red robin now? And somebody else is asking the same question because their red robin has gone very overgrown and it's gone too tall and trying to cut it back. Red robin, I think, Fotinia red robin, it's, it's an evergreen shrub, but it's a lovely shrub grown as an individual specimen or even grown as a hedge. But I think it's a really, really lovely shrub because the new growth is, is the lovely kind of bright red with the dark green background if it's well kept I think it's really nice if it's well kept and well maintained if it's allowed to get leggy and woody and lanky I don't think it's a lovely shrub Um, so you do need to maintain it you do need to cut it back so the answer to both questions is is yes you can cut them back Um, and now is kind of the time we're nearly in the time of the year March I would say is probably the best time of the year to do it uh, end of February onwards just just when the risk of cold is is I'm not going to say gone, but decreasing um, the risk of low temperatures. So I would say in March, you can cut it, you can cut them back quite hard. However, like with all evergreen shrubs, you can't remove all the foliage, Tris. So if there's, um, if the, for the one that's kind of gone lanky and top heavy, um, remove as much of it as you want, but just make sure you are leaving some foliage on the branches below where you prune. And then if that, if you, if that doesn't allow you to prune it hard enough, what it means is it will green up lower down the stems then during the summer and you can cut it back a bit harder then later on in the summer. 
Okay, uh, this uh, uh, Jim and Tony Kilty. I know we they, we touched on this last week with um, ashes from the fire. Uh, Jim wants to know: are, Would ashes from the fire be of any benefit for a lawn? Well, the, the yes and no. In that, I wouldn't pour, I wouldn't put ashes on the lawn because uh, they, they could just end up. What am I trying to say? You know, they, they might be too heavy to apply directly onto the lawn. But I would certainly mix it into maybe a compost that I might put as a top dressing on the lawn, if you know what I mean. If you're going to put them directly on the lawn, first of all, it should only be wood ash, of course, not coal, anything like that. Just wood ash. Um, so if, you, if you're spreading it on the lawn, make sure it's dry and not wet. Because, you know, what, what I'm trying to avoid is what I would be anxious to avoid is that you put on and it becomes a sodden mess on top of the, the grass, which wouldn't be good for, for the grass. Excuse me. The potash element or the potassium element would help with the root development of the grass. But if you're putting it on too heavy, it'll just, you know, suffocate the grass. So make sure it's a fine, dry day, uh, and the ashes are fine and dry, which they will be. Uh, and and I would still err on the side of putting it into the compost bin. But if you did want to just spread it straight on the lawn, do it very, very lightly. Okay, uh, Benny has a holly tree that again, like the like the was a breather earlier, still has berries, but it's starting to drop its leaves. It's never done that before. It could be. I don't want to jump to conclusions. It could be holly leaf blight, right, which is a fungal problem. But uh, my own holly is losing a lot of its leaves too at the moment, uh, and it's still in berry. I don't think it's holly leaf blight. I think it could be <laughs> to give it a technical answer. Just one of those things. Um, I think evergreens do always shed leaves. Like they're not like deciduous plants, which you know sheds them all in one go during one specific season of autumn. Evergreens are constantly dropping some leaves. My holly certainly looks like it's dropping more than normal now and has been for the last month. I have looked at it; there doesn't seem to be any big sign of dieback or leaf blight. It's possible that it could be, uh, but I think the long-winded answer to the question it's going to be a question of just wait and see. I think it'll probably be okay. Um, the fact that it's losing a few leaves now, I wouldn't be overly concerned by that. But if it continues to do that during the summer and you start seeing black spots or anything like that on the leaves, uh, well, then you know you're, you're in a bit of trouble. OK, and before we let you go, I know you touched on this last week. You've got that wonderful um, Snowdrop Garden event uh, that you want to remind us of. It's this weekend, Yes, isn't it? yes, yes, this yes. Sunday. Oh, I just, I, I had it up on the screen. Yeah, no, it's not me. It's the, the people in Bandon Garden Centre, DJ and Gerard down there. There's a fabulous Snowdrop open day in the... The, the the gorgeous Bright Park Cottage in Calumny. It's this Saturday the 18th from 11am to 5. They're doing teas and coffees and light refreshments. There's plant sales, antique sales and a raffle. But most of all, you get to see the, the fabulous bulb displays and snowdrops down there. So I would, and it's an eight, all in aid, of course, of CUH, the cancer charity, I think, in CUH. So uh, for, for any inquiries, I would get on to Bandon Garden Centre and they, they'd be only too happy to, to advise, I imagine. And there's nothing like snowdrops. I think they're the most gorgeous little flowers. They really are this time of the year, kind of the first of all of them to come into bloom. They really, really are a kind of a portent of what's to come. OK, and happy Valentine's Day to you. Did you, did you give yourself flowers? Are you into giving bunches of flowers as a gardener? I better be very careful now how I answer this. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's not an advantage being a gardener. <laughs> oh, is it not? So <laughs> we do celebrate Valentine's Day, put it that way. OK, all right, we will leave it at that. Well, happy Valentine's Day and thanks for joining and us. And to you, Trish. Uh, good morning and to you. you. That is uh, Peter Dowdrell, the irishgardener.com. And just a couple of uh, final texts that are uh, in on the Children's Hospital. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, uh, Patricia Morris-Nelligan, 
Gobbigutwam uh, said at the time bring the Children's Hospital to a greenfield site on the outskirts of Dublin make it accessible to the people from all over the country God I remember his arguments that time uh, and why come how does it happen that large large building companies their their contracts for industrial buildings never seem to run out of money but when it's government projects are they seen as soft touches and at the end of the day it's we the taxpayer will uh, pay and Anthony says this is on bringing calling the construction workers to come home please Fine Gael when they were in power uh, foolishly virtually ended apprenticeships and they concentrated on the corporate world and now we have this gigantic mess and with our open border policy we can never get on top of the house building problems and begging young people to come back and move in with their parents again while they build the houses that's never going to happen that's from Anthony that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is easing you through this Valentine's afternoon and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messenger very good afternoon today on C103 with McCarthy Insurance Group proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.